Leo's wife now is never listened to our podcast and ob- obsessed with it. She's listened to like back to back to back. And she's like emailing Leo to tell him what she likes. And yeah, it's pretty funny, right? It's cool. It's really cool. This number 58, right? Oh my God, 58. I keep saying, oh my God, sorry. But I'm still kind of blown away that I'm in year two. It's pretty exciting. Um, I've been trying to get this guy to do this podcast since the summer last year. And I finally got him. He was really nervous to come on. I don't know why he did a great job. But this is Leo, and Leo is uh, Bert's business manager. And I just wanted to sit down and talk to him about money because I feel like nobody openly talks about money. It's not taught in high school. Like you learn math, but math is different than money. And so I wanted to talk to him about kind of how to handle your money, how to invest it, how to plan for retirement, how to save it. And as soon as the podcast was over, he said, you know, we just barely scratched the surface. There's so many more things we need to talk about. So Leo will be back. We are going to have him back again. I think we talked mostly about retirement and setting yourself up, you know, so that you can retire comfortably in the future and a little bit about savings. And we kind of go over this article I read about what most millionaires know. And he kind of confirmed that that is accurate what most millionaires do most millionaires are your neighbor they're not actually some guy who like builds jets he's actually pretty much the guy that lives down the street and just is very smart with his money so it was a really great conversation I learned some things and I learned kind of how to think about things more simply which makes it more digestible so I hope that you uh, enjoy this episode I've had so many people I've told that Leo's coming to talk about money we're so excited so hopefully it doesn't disappoint and he'll definitely be back we're going to talk about like credit next time how to build credit how you lose credit um that will be coming soon so thank you guys for coming back every week please share this podcast if you're if you like it and you know someone who could use um some information that's in this podcast just share it uh and i love doing this so thank you so much for showing up every week and helping me uh do something that i love all right uh this is leo episode 58 The game, time has changed three times. Three times, not by half an hour. Yeah. At first it was nine and noon. Then it was like one and four. Now it's two and six. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't plan anything. I have another kid that has play. I'm exhausted thinking about having kids in the future. Like, how do you plan your time? Because I have all these ambitions of, yeah, I want to like be involved in sports and all these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man. It's really challenging. Sports just feel like they're getting more and more intense at every single 
level. They they are. You know, the thing about high school, I hope no one from her team is listening to this. They yeah. don't really know who I am, so hopefully not. But I keep thinking, really five practices a week right. and a game, at least one game. Really? I mean, piano's gone. Yeah. And the only thing I keep standing my ground on is if they have a schedule, fine, then we'll stick to that schedule. But if something keeps adding and it's displacing Girl Scouts, yeah. I'm sorry. She's been in Girl Scouts since she was in second grade. Yeah. I'm not going to have her leave these girls high and dry because you have changed your schedule. But I mean, like today, this happens every week. Oh, by the way, I need some royal blue softball socks. They don't just sell those just like, you know, on the corner <laughs> store. You have to go find them. I think like, I'm wearing some. Yeah, you are with mustaches. They're perfect. But I'm like, okay, and you need those. Oh, by tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, well, I now have to drive to Glendale, which is 30 minutes from here, yeah. which is the closest sporting goods store because I can go to Big Five, but they don't have, you know, they don't have anything. So tonight we're going home. She goes, to, yeah. So I need a long sleeve Under Armour shirt for tomorrow. I'm like, I, 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 can't, I can't help you. I have something going on right now, actually, that I'm late for, and I'm not going to um, Dick's Sporting Goods right. at nine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not. So, hmm, we'll have to figure something else out. They need to choose a sport that doesn't have all that equipment. Like in high school, I did swim and water polo. No equipment. Speedo, that's all you need. Right? <laughs> no helmet for that? No helmet. No, no helmet. Nothing. Mouth guard? Nope, nothing. Wow. Yeah. No fins great. on your feet? Nothing. No that would fins. help, right? Yeah, it's all great. Fins would be great, yeah. <laughs> fins would be helpful, right? <laughs> you Now, you're tall, but you still couldn't touch the ground, right? No, so um, it's all, it's supposed to be just an all deep end pool. Most pools are, but some of them here in the valley are, so I went to Alamany and it was uh, half shallow. You went shallow. to Bishop Alamany? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know that. Half shallow, half deep. Uh -huh. And so in the shallow end, the goal is bigger, so you're technically not supposed to touch the ground, but you know, you do and whatever. But technically, real water polo, it's all deep end pool. No one's touching the ground. You can't. It's, you know, eight feet plus right. deep. So, yeah. Only Andre the Giant. Yeah, exactly. That's a hard sport, isn't it? It's wrestling in water with a ball thrown in the mix. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. It's dirty, too. Is um, it? Well, yeah, you know, they they make you check your nails to see if you have like sharp nails before you actually start a game. They're supposed to guys, you know, cause you're kicking and scratching your toenails, your fingernails. That's all you got. You're kidding. Yeah. And then pulling suits and it's all underwater. So the refs can't see what's going on under the water. That's so it's, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. It was That's fun. Crazy. Yeah. I have a friend whose kid is at Bishop Alamey. She loves it. She's so happy yeah. there. Yeah. I liked she loves it. It, oh, it was good. good. Yeah. Good. No complaints. Well, let's talk about how you pay for private school. Since I invited sure. you here, yeah. talk about money. So, Seems impossible. So I have to say this for people listening. Leo is our Burt's business manager. So a business manager helps you make business decisions. Yep. Would that be right? Yeah. And part of that is how to manage your money. Big part of it. Big yeah. part of it. Not yeah. all of it. Not all of it. you definitely yeah. help with strategy and yeah. planning. And, and it's also... Uh, personal decisions too you know it's um i mean as you know it's like it all sort of bleeds together and so when you're talking about business then all of a sudden you're talking about personal finances and how it all shapes together so yeah, yeah it's a generic business manager but it encompasses a lot it does encompass yeah. a lot and i can say this since we started working with you bert's business has really flourished and thrived yeah. 
Um, so I think obviously what you do is very important and helpful, but I think his energetic focus on money or saying, Hey, I need a professional to help me right. actually makes that money grow energetically. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the goal is for it to take the stress off of Bert and off of you. And so that you can focus on the things that are the money makers and not worry about where the money goes and organizing it and planning for it and all of that and relying on someone that you feel confident, hopefully, and you know, trust and right. let them help you make those decisions. Yes. Well, it's been a blessing to me. I went to lunch with Joey Diaz's wife today, who was did, d- does what I did before yeah. you took over, all the bookkeeping, right. all the prepping for the CPA. And she was telling me, because she's in the thick of it now, yeah. right? And I kept thinking, I am so glad <laughs> I don't have that job anymore. Yeah. It's so overwhelming. Well, it's stressful, know? especially when it's not something that you do day in and day out. I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I'm comfortable with all of these things because I literally live in it day in and day out. And right. I have this entire team of people that have special specialties, right. you know, in tax and in accounting and all these different areas that we get to rely on each other because we're doing it constantly. Right. But it's stressful when you're one person doing it, whether it's once a year or, you know, it's brand new to you this one year, whatever it is, it becomes stressful because you don't think you're doing it right. You don't know who to ask. You're nervous about asking because you don't want to share information that you don't know whether it's right or wrong. So yeah, very stressful. Well, that's something you had said to me when I asked you to do this podcast. And I was saying, um, I I told a friend of mine that we were going to talk about money and she got really excited because she said, I feel really lost with money. I feel like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with money, if I'm doing the right thing, if it's too late for me to do the right thing. And something you had said to me was, it's really important to have peers that you can talk to so you can compare notes. Yeah. And I guess people just don't talk about their money, right? It's the culture. Culture, Culturally, we're all kind of... um, I wouldn't say taught, but it's it's the culture that you don't share, right? I, I don't want to tell you what I'm making. I shouldn't ask you what you're making, how much money you have in the bank, how much money should I have in the bank. Mm-hmm. No one talks about it openly. And I think one of the things you were saying, which I think hopefully most people have, is they have that friend or that person that you do unleash all that information on, right? And sometimes it's our parents, sometimes it's whomever. Right. But it's that channel where you get to let it all out and go like, am I doing it right? Um, and so being able to find someone, you know, whether it's a professional or a a group of people, friends, whomever that you can share it all with and say, you know, full disclosure, this is what I've got going on. I kind of, I'm nervous that I don't have enough or how do I compare? We're all trying to figure that out together. Yeah, we do have a couple that we, as couple, as individuals and as a couple, we'll talk about money and, hey, I just refinanced my house. I got 3.1. Right. This is how I did it. And we've done that with each other for years now. And it is really helpful. And I think, honestly, it helps us grow as individuals because we go, oh, well, they can do it. Yeah. Well, I can, I, I can totally do that. Well, we're all doing it, right? I mean, yeah. everyone's doing it, but no one knows if you're making the right decisions or missing something. You know, you always think, that person has a secret. They must be doing something I'm not <laughs> right. doing, right? And right. no one knows. And how much should I save? Are they saving more than me? Right. Are they making more? <clears throat> right. I'm not sure. So it's, it, you know, I mean, the more open you can be and transparent with people, I, I think the thing that I've learned is, you know, no one 
laughs at you when you say, hey, I make this much or I've saved this much. Everyone generally is pretty kind about it and says like, well, this is what I do. And um, it's not taught in school necessarily unless you're focusing on it, right? Elementary school, I remember the closest thing that I had was I think in second or third grade, our teacher just made us keep a checkbook for for points in the class, right? And it was like, uh, you know, you earned some number of points and you wrote it down in your checkbook and you had to balance it. And he kept track of it and he'd always check and see if your balance matched his. It's fascinating, right? Super smart. Super smart. But that's not a common thing for people to learn. So No, it's not. When I was, I've talked about this before on my podcast, um... Uh, when I um, when I was a kid, I went to private school until I went to high school, and then I moved back with my dad, and I went to public school. So I was, in some ways, a little ahead, in some ways. So by the time I got to be a senior, I I had taken everything. I had two PE classes, and <laughs> you know English, math, whatever. But then they put me in a class they called business math. It was for the kids that went to vocational school who okay. were studying to be a plumber, or, yeah, or electrician. And it was um, how to apply for a loan, how to file your income taxes. That's amazing. How to balance your checkbook. Yeah. How to write a budget. Um, it was just basic, like living math. Right. Really, is what it was. The thing that everyone needs. That everyone needs. And I remember thinking in that class, this is so boring. And after when I got into college and I was on my own and I had to figure out a budget, yeah. figure out my student loans and. I was like, I am so glad I had that class. Yeah. I don't know why they don't teach that class in every high school. Well, just everything that has a dollar sign, right? I mean, mortgages, trying trying to get someone to explain what a mortgage is. Everyone's so nervous, whether it's buying your first house or refinancing a mortgage. These kind of basic things that are a part of everyone's life mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily explained. And then you go to do it and you're like, well, I know... I know I, I'm supposed to buy a house or I want to buy a house. How do I do it? A mortgage. Okay, what is that? What are rates? Right. All these basic things that everyone should be equipped with. But yeah. I think in general, people feel embarrassed that they don't know it and they weren't equipped with it. And then you go like, well, you know, shoot, I should I be doing it? Or what's the smart thing to do? And then you don't want to ask because we're all embarrassed to ask questions that we don't know the answers to, which is silly because... <laughs> no, in general, no one's really laughing at you if you say, hey, this may be a stupid question, but I don't know the answer to it. And right. so we Google it or whatever, and then we're still not confident. So, yeah, it's tough. But and like, it creates a little bit of fear, right? Yeah. And I really believe, I don't know what you believe about money, yeah. but I believe money is, is energy, really. It's energy that you draw to yourself. It's abundance right. or lack thereof or scarcity or... Yeah. However, you are drawing prosperity to yourself. Money's part of prosperity. It's right. not all of it. Yeah. But if you have a lot of fear wrapped around it, it kind of shuts it down and closes it off. Yeah. And especially if it's fear of something that you could simply ask a question and ha- risk feeling stupid for yeah. five seconds <laughs> to then alleviate all this fear. Um, well, it's part of the one of the uh, favorite parts of my job is being able to field those questions and. Uh, I don't, I certainly don't claim to know the answer to every single one of them, but I'm happy to go, okay, I'm a resource that you get to say, hey, stupid question maybe, but I, I don't know the answer to it. Can we, you know, what about this? Right. right. Refinancing. I don't have the confidence to know what a refinance is. I feel like it's something we should do, but I don't know. Is that something we can or can't do? 
and being able to help and say, okay, well, let's talk about the thought process behind it and <clears throat> whether it's a good or a bad idea, why you would do it right. and what you're going to gain versus risk. Right. Um, and, you know, firsthand, you know what sort of the benefit and the risk can be of that. But being able to bounce that off of someone and get a little bit of confidence in you to be able to do it is really helpful, I think. Yeah, uh, It's very helpful for me. <laughs> but I know we didn't have it until we had you. Right. We could do it with Bert's dad a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, you know... It's, it, he's he's a lawyer. He's yeah. and he's very good with his money, but that's very different than someone right. who, like you said, deals with money and finances right. every day. And it's hard to, you know, sometimes we ask advice of someone who's very opinionated in one direction right. of that kind of a decision. Yeah, and then that'll sway. You know, that you can see culturally or in certain households, decisions are made in one direction or the other because of how the elderling of that family has felt about it and disseminated that information. Boy, isn't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was always taught that having money was bad, that it was selfish. Right. People that had money were typically selfish, self-centered, not generous, stingy, nasty, only out for what they could get. And so for a long time, I think I blocked having money until I went, wait, no, actually, you can be a very lovely, normal, regular, right. generous it doesn't have to dictate who you are, yeah. No, why can't you just stay who you are, yeah. rich or poor? But I that definitely was the rhetoric I grew up with. Anybody yeah. rich is definitely probably is definitely ill-begotten gains. <laughs> There's no <laughs> way they're on the up and up. So why was it why was it something that was portrayed that way to you, do you think? Culturally, I think yeah. it was very culturally that the mindset. Yeah. You know, the banker's definitely going to screw you. You know, and and I grew up um, with my dad, everything was, and it still is for him, dealt with on a barter system, which he feels is much more fair. Yeah. You know, he's a mechanic. I don't think he's paid a doctor bill or a dentist bill. He doesn't pay for his drugs at the pharmacy. He doesn't, let's see, what was it the other day? That's fascinating. He traded... um, uh, we sent him our car, mm-hmm. and he bartered for that repair work. Right. Um, he just doesn't pay for anything with money because in their community, they would. Lit- I would literally go to the gas station. Mister Styles had yeah. a tally of how much money I spent, and then Mister Styles would take his car down to my dad's and get a whatever needed, and he'd bring that tally, right. and they'd even it out somehow. And they would, no money would change hands. And so in my community, that's a much more legit, honest way of doing business. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then you go, but you know, the that's rest, not of, the the rest world, of the world, right? Can't really put a mortgage on a house with yeah. a barter. Here's two right. pigs and eight <laughs> ducks. And here's my house. You know, it doesn't work that way anymore for most people. Yeah. But I mean, literally, my dad, I was just talking to him about. He's having a problem with his tooth. And I'm like, well, why don't you go see Dr. Brock? He's like, he's retired. I don't have a dentist anymore. I'm like, Daddy, there's like three dentists in our hometown. Yeah. And I'm not paying for a dentist. He can't work out a bartering system with them? That's what I said. I said, <laughs> they got cars. They can't, can't work on their cars? No, I don't work like that for everybody. They're young people. They yeah. don't know how that yeah. works. Okay. <laughs> okay, Daddy. Okay. But but yeah, that the kind of the banker, the people who didn't function in that system were definitely very a little suspect. Right. They were a little suspect. They were definitely something shady when you use real money. <laughs> you know? It's fascinating. Yeah. It is fascinating. My other grandfather, my mom's dad, uh, 
didn't you didn't use a bank so he had this one wall in his house <laughs> he would just shove money in the wall yeah and i kept thinking what happens if the house catches on fire like that shit's paper <laughs> right it's yeah. gone and apparently he would put money in jars and bury them in the backyard yeah and he knew where they were but i kept saying what if something happens to you Nobody knows where Nobody it knows. is. Yeah. And he's really wealthy. He has like 400 acres of land yeah. and all this actual money, money. Stuff buried everywhere. That's just, yes. And I was like, what happens <laughs> when you're gone? The squirrel's going to be real rich, but we don't know where anything is. I know? mean, that that still exists. I still talk to people who don't um, believe in bank accounts or the word taught not to trust banks or credit cards or anything like Seriously? that. Seriously? In it's, LA? Yeah, it's still like, you know, it. I get blown away by it, but it is still a real fear that's driven into people or taught into people. Um, and they're all just tools to use to help, you know, build wealth or uh, financial stability, whatever, whatever you want to say. Right. Um, credit cards are a fascinating one for people and people's thought process yeah. on credit cards, you know, yeah. paying them down or, use, you know, not understanding that it is debt that you ultimately owe and that it doesn't just disappear. Right. right. And there's a lot of trouble that you can get yourself into. But everyone's nervous about it. People don't, you know, I think if you accumulate debt on a credit card, you then don't want to talk about it because it's maybe embarrassing or whatever it is. But you can get yourself in trouble and then you don't, you even more so don't want to talk about it. And right. the thought process behind why you have it and what to do with it. Right. Um, you know, certain people are taught, you know, don't have a credit card because it'll only get you in trouble. Well, it, right. I think it depends on how you're taught how to use it. You know, it's yes. borrowing money that you don't have to pay any interest on if you pay it regularly. Um, right. And there's all sorts of points and rewards and all that stuff that you can benefit from nowadays. But unfortunately, you can get yourself in trouble with it if you don't treat it accordingly. You and just have to be disciplined. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's with with your own money in general, you know, and in my business, I try and treat everyone's money as if it's my own, respect it as if it's my own because, right. um, you know, it's, it's something we work really hard for and uh, you don't want to just be frivolous with it. Like, you know, what are you doing? Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're not frivolous <laughs> with my money. Thank you. Or our money, yeah. I should say. So um, uh, why did you, what drew you to this career? So um, my career is interesting because most people don't necessarily know what a business manager is and they focus on accounting, right? And it's, oh, you do people's taxes or you do their accounting. Um, and it is... It's a lot more than that. And the thing that drew me to it is that it is not simply, and this isn't to discredit accountants or, you know, people that work, work in the IRS, but I went to school for finance and I, I went through it and uh, quickly kind of realized or decided coming out of it that I didn't want to be a stockbroker or any of the traditional um, career paths of someone who gets a finance degree. And so I, I started looking around and seeing what else was out there in this world of business, right? Getting a business degree. And, um, and so I, I started reaching out to family friends and, and whoever I could that was in business or successful in business, whatever that meant, you know, a head of a company or a CEO or mm -hmm. I don't know. And so, um, 
in talking to them all, I was like, listen, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? Um, and they said the best way to learn a company is, you know, through accounting. If you know the books, then you'll know that you'll understand the company and everything from there. It's a really good building block. So if you don't know what you ultimately want to do, I'd start there. And so I said, oh, okay, well, I'll start looking at accounting jobs and what that means. And I started looking at, you know, I, I think I, um, I, I made a lot of people laugh when I started saying I'm looking at jobs in the IRS and all of that. And my mentality was, well, I'll learn all the loopholes right, in the right. IRS and then, you know, I'll come out of it and whatever. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at that and, uh, and accounting jobs and then just out of luck of a family friend of a friend, uh, learned about business management and the entertainment industry in LA and everything's, you know, so much is tied to it yeah. in LA. Um, but learned about, you know, it's this niche industry that works with people in the entertainment industry and all in front of the camera, behind the camera, touring, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I got fascinated by it because I was like, wow, you know, it's this interactive thing with fun people. And um, the more I learned about it, the more it became, well, you get to interact with people and help them and help them make decisions and, you know, help them with things that maybe they're uncomfortable with or not trained in, right? A, a lot of entertainers are very good with the art but then, you know, they get paychecks that they don't know what to do with or how to manage and how to pay the team and who to employ and how to employ them and all these complicated decisions and things that come with it that, again, they're not trained on and they kind of find their way through it as they become more and more successful. Um, so I was really drawn to it. And so I, um, I luckily was hired by a firm and made my way through it and learned and you know, really, really enjoyed interacting with people and actually feeling like I was helping and making a difference. And um, and so it brought me to where I am today. It's been a really fun and fascinating thing. You know, there's so much exposure, real life, ex real world exposure that um, I get to see amongst all of our clients and it relates to my own life. And it's interesting talking to friends of mine who most, most um, of my friends' careers are very uh one directional and sometimes we'll get into conversations whether it's about a mortgage or about student loans or whatever retirement accounts college savings accounts when they have kids and they go how do you like you know don't you just do accounting why how do you know about that <laughs> or this that, right and i go you know i just i've picked it up because i'm exposed to all these things right. i think most of my friends don't know the depth of what right. i do they kind of most people they kind of just assume it's accounting or taxes yeah and, yeah you know and, uh, you know. Yeah, most people who, when I say Bert's business manager, that's all they think you do. Too. Right, yeah. And I go, that's not actually it. There's yeah. a lot of, that he's in a lot of meetings yeah. with us that have to do with, not creative, but with yeah. strategy, with planning yeah. and force, you know, foreseeing what's coming ahead and how to pay for that and yeah. how to save for that. And Well, there are a lot of nuances just to be in the room or on a phone call or whatever that hopefully I can add value or say, you know what, we can we can take advantage of this mm -hmm. if we treat it this way or, you know, or that. And sometimes there aren't, but at least being on the call or in the room, hopefully there's some benefit that I can help find or steer the discussion yeah. so there's a way to find it. I feel or, like you're the money lawyer. Yeah, exactly. Like we ha there's a lawyer <laughs> yeah. and then you're the money lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's going to go on my business card, money lawyer. Money lawyer. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Esquire. <laughs> Leo Esquire. <laughs> um, okay, so in my house, this is what I do with my kids. You tell me what you think about this. Okay. They get 20 bucks a week. Okay. They get every Sunday. It is not an earned income. They mm-hmm. get it because they live in our house. Okay. Now they have chores. Yeah. But the chores aren't relative to the earning. They're not linked. They're not. Correct. Okay. It's because I I think I read a book that said that uh, allowance is just because you're part of the family. Okay. And then chores is just because you're part of the family. You're not earning money sure. through chores. They're both because you are part of this team, yeah. right? Sometimes you do things you don't want to do for no money when right. you are at your office. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, you get money because you get money. Yeah. So I give them 20 bucks um, a week and I ask that they put 10% into savings and 10% into basically tithing. Okay. And then whatever they want to do with the 80% is up to them. Yeah. However... If they're going to the movies with their friends, they pay for that. Okay. If they're going to the movies with us, family, we yeah. pay for that. Right. You and your sister want to walk to Minchie's, that's on you. Yeah. We take you to Minchie's, that's on us. Right. That's what we do. That's how I'm trying to teach them how to deal with their money. So when I was growing up, my my dad, uh, our allowance was based on our chores. And I think, you know, um, I haven't thought about it in a long time, but I think it was, you know, two bucks for mowing the lawn, two bucks for picking up after the dog, that sort of stuff, right? So you try and accumulate it. And it was always in an envelope. And on the back of the envelope, he would sit down with us. And it was when money went in, we'd write on it and you'd balance it, right? How How much is in it? How much you've added? Make sure it all adds up you're good. And if money comes out of it, same thing. You got to mark it. So it's a little checkbook on the back of an envelope. Yeah. Um, So that was the early, early on with that. Uh, And I don't know which one I, I've I've never thought of it the way that you just presented it as allowance is not uh, like a rewards-based system. It is what it is. And then chores are because you're part of the family. I kind of like that. Well, Isla Kreischer would do no chores for no money because she does not give a crap. (laughs) Georgia would have a thousand dollars a week because she'd want the money and I was like well how do we when I read that in the book I went okay this is how you level the playing field right you feed the dog because that's because they're your dogs yeah and that's it yeah sorry the chores are chores I take the garbage out every day I don't get paid for that yeah so but I like the way your dad did it too because he taught you how to balance and all that stuff a little bit of that I think that was beneficial but it's fascinating because I've uh, my brother who uh, we're very close in age and he's only a year older and how different two siblings can be raised almost identically right and he it was money allowance would come in great I can go spend it on whatever it is right a video game or whatever right and for me it was how much can I accumulate in this envelope and my dad just you know he would always laugh about me stockpiling it and we'd go to Toys R Us or whatever and like okay guys you got full envelopes what are you gonna do and I would be conservative and it's just it's fascinating how my brother's like well I'll just earn more next week yeah so I can spend this on whatever I want and I would be like, yeah, but if you don't spend it, <laughs> right? you got more for the next time. But then it just, you know, so it's fascinating. I think we're, we're kind of, there's something inherent in us that makes us think certain ways. It's not just how we're raised. Oh, I think that's absolutely yeah. right. Because um, Isla will not spend a red nickel. 
still is hard yeah. for me to even get her to donate the money that's set aside for that purpose. Right. She made me buy her a fireproof safe for her room <laughs> that she keeps her cash in. She so values it that much. She, if great. anything happens, she's grabbing that safe. <laughs> I mean, screw the cat and the dog. She's getting that fireproof safe. It's got a key. Yeah. And she gave me one key, and she has a key, and that money goes in that safe. And Bert it doesn't have a key? Doesn't sp- no. Would you give Bert a key? Bert doesn't have a key to my safe, yeah. to our safe, that has all our like emergency yeah. cash in it. No, no, no. I yeah. don't have that key. What emergency cash? We have some emergency cash. Do you need to know no, about I'm it? <laughs> no, when he was working and bringing home cash from t-shirts, yeah. we were like, let's just put like a bunch of cash yeah. if there's, uh, you know... Natural disaster. Yeah, absolutely. We have a ton of cash. Yeah. I mean, I think we have like two grand. Yeah. You know, so that we could Just eat. in case. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> buy gasoline at a premium price. Hopefully the dollar's worth something in that state of emergency. In We're not apocalypse. bartering yeah. Yeah, with something else. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> that and the motorcycle Bert's going to purchase that all four of us can fit on sure. in the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> I can't quite figure out either, but... But anyway, yeah. so that's how we kind of deal with money in our house. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know it, what your advice would be for someone, let's just start like in each decade of life. You're just out of college. You're in your 20s. What should you be doing with your money? Like my kids do 10% here, 10% there, keep 80%. If you're 20 and just out of college, what should you do? Should you pay off your student loans? Should you... Yeah, student loans are tough because um, I, my brain always goes to uh, long term, right? And this, my favorite story behind that is I have a friend who he had a um, a great job, sort of straight out of college, and he was talking about well, they uh, provide us with a four hundred one k matching, right? They match. Ooh, that's good. Amazing. Yeah. But if you're not taught, then you think, yeah, but I'm not. It's not going into my bank account. It doesn't feel like real money because you can't touch it. You can't, you know, without penalties and whatnot, but you can't really touch it. And so why would I put more in to that retirement savings? Yeah, they're matching it. But if you don't fully understand, then it's tough. And that would drive me crazy. Yeah. You know, like put as much as you can that's, you know, feasible. But if they're matching it, that's free extra money, right? If they told you they'd pay you more because you put more into something, would you do that? And he's like, yeah. Okay, well, it's the same thing. They're effectively paying you more for not just saving it. Right. Um, it's just so deferred payment. Deferred right? payment. Yeah. You get it in the future. Yeah. It's there. You know, almost everyone now has an online access to their 401k or their retirement, whatever it is, and you can see it. If you need to see it, log in and make sure it's going in there. Right. But um, that's where my brain first goes. The earlier you can start saving for retirement because it's becoming astronomical what what you know um studies are showing what it's going to cost for retired living in 20 30 40 50 years um as well as you know sort of assisted living costs and all those things that go along with it and when you're 20 that's not even a blip on the radar you're not even thinking about it but if you do it then that savings over the course of that span of time just makes such a difference that extra couple years of savings as much as you can um makes a huge difference and because so, it kind of compounds right compounding interest yeah most well, fantastic I didn't, I didn't know that that's what it actually was yeah but in my brain i was thinking it just because what's in there okay explain this to me see sure. let me explain it to you and you tell me if it's right because i'll <laughs> explain it from my redneck yes 
rural Georgia. <clears throat> if I put in a dollar mm-hmm. and I uh, earn ten percent, yeah, then next month I have a dollar ten. Right. If it's, if it's earning ten percent a month, that's fantastic. Yes. Yes, I so, know. I yeah. know this isn't real, but these are numbers we can understand. Yes, absolutely. Right? If I put a dollar in and I earn ten percent, then the next month I have a dollar ten, which will earn ten percent. Yeah. Right. So that first month you earned ten cents. Right. That second month you earned eleven cents. Right. Right. Ten percent of the dollar ten. Right. right? And then the, and then the next then month you earn ten percent of the dollar ten. Right. Two dollars and twenty one cents. Yeah. So it just keeps yeah. compounding. For a dollar and 21 cents. Yeah. So my aunt, who was a teacher, mm-hmm. retired with over a million dollars in her 401k. Yeah. Teacher salary. Amazing. Yeah. It, you know, she just kept pouring stuff into her 401k. Yeah. And when she retired, she had over a million dollars in rural Georgia. Well, some you people know? like to think of their retirement savings where they don't even look at it. It's like this thing that they close their eyes to. They're like, I, I know it's going in somewhere and I know I'll have it in the future right. and I'm not going to pay attention to it. And I'm not sure why. I think it's because it's a deduction and you don't like to think of money coming out of your check, mm-hmm. but it's nice to think it's saving somewhere. But I'd keep an eye on it because I think that encourages you to save more, keep saving or to see it growing. And that's why I'd say... Um, you know, for anyone starting a retirement savings account, whatever age you are, see it because seeing the growth of it and the accumulation is a fantastic motivator. Right. Um, and I think if you do that, you know, like if I revert back to my, my friend, if he were looking at it and seeing the company, it's not his dollars going mm-hmm. into it, but the company's dollars going into it, it's probably a bit, of, it would have been a little bit more of a motivating factor to see someone else's money going into your account. Right. right. If it was your checking or your savings account, you'd be all over it. Totally. Yeah, because most people monitor that like a hawk. Totally. So we will go back to my example. Yeah. If I put a dollar in <clears throat> and my company puts a dollar in, yeah. now I'm earning 10% on $2, right? right? Yeah. Now I got 220. Now next month I put another dollar in. So I got 320 of- and they're putting a dollar in. So now I've got 420. Mm-hmm. And that that's crazy. Yeah, it's fantastic. Compound. I want interest. a 401k. <laughs> you have Austin, a can you account. match my 401k? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds I would feel like I was winning the lottery every yeah. month. Yeah. That would be amazing. It's great. So in your twenties, in any age. Any age. But yeah. in your twenties, if you could start a four oh one K, you're gonna be yeah, I mean, in it's great the, shape. It's the so you've got that, right? If that's something that you can do, right? We can all we can all set up a retirement account. Even if you don't have a company paying you that has a 401k, if you don't have that, then you can set up, uh, you know, an IRA. There are all different types of options um, for retirement accounts. And so, you know, ask TurboTax or ask your accountant, whichever one you have, H&R Block, doesn't matter. Ask, you know, whomever. Um, But it's such a phenomenal thing because, you know, now let's add on to that. The fact that it can go in tax-free before you pay taxes, it can go in there. So now you're making interest on money that you haven't paid taxes on. So it's that tip-top dollar. Right. Then you're adding more to the to the argument of of having it. So that's my that's my big one that my my brain always goes to. So then, when you take money out of the four hundred one k, are you taxed on it then? Yeah. So okay. you get taxed on it. The thought process being. Uh, you put money in, especially in a time uh, of your life where maybe you're making sort of that peak performance. 
you're now making um, really good money, you're taxed at your highest tax bracket that you're going to be taxed at, whatever that is. The theory is later in life, when you're retired, you're going to be taking out money, but you're taking it out maybe when you're not earning money. So you're in a lower tax bracket. So instead of paying taxes on it when it went in at your higher tax bracket and pay more, when you take it out, hopefully you're in a lower tax bracket maybe and you pay a little bit less taxes on that money after it comes out. And it's earned interest, so it's grown over time. Right. And then you get to take it out and be taxed less. Okay, so for those of people like me. Yeah. uh, So if your dollar is now a million dollars, right? When you were in the middle... Say yep. you were in a 30% tax bracket in the middle. Let's of your use earning. 50% to make okay, it 50. easy. Let's, right? Let's 50%. say you're in California and, and you're paying and, the tip top tax rates. And it's 50%. Yeah. So, so you put that dollar in. If you didn't put it in, you would have walked away with 50 cents. Right. Right? But you put the dollar in, you didn't pay any taxes on that dollar. And then, I don't know, 50 years from then or 20 years or 10 years, maybe you're not earning that same amount and you're not at the 50% tax bracket. You take that dollar back out. Maybe you're at the 30% or you're at 20%, whatever it is, but you're not paying 50 cents on the dollar. Now you're getting 70, 60, cents. 70 cents out of that dollar instead of 50 cents. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Because yeah. you know what the complaint I hear from people is, well, I don't want to pay taxes on it. Right. Well, okay. But if you're going to pay taxes on it at some point, right. that I, that had never been explained to me. Right. I didn't really think of it that way that if you pay taxes on it when you're in highest bracket, it makes more sense to take it out yeah. late. That makes so much sense. Okay. Not that I have, I mean, we have all these retirement accounts, but that's well, just never been explained. I didn't and know And there that. are different types. And some t- so there are some types that <clears throat> if you don't like that thought process, you maybe want to put money in after you've paid taxes. And there are retirement accounts that, that work that way as well so that later in life, you're not, paying tax on the money you take out you just it's the money clear the, money. the taxes yeah i got it okay that's a different type but a yeah. 401k is the type that's taxed yeah. when you pull it out yeah. okay um okay so then in your 20s say i make 100 bucks right i mm-hmm. need to live on 80 okay what do i do with those 20 bucks do i pay off my student loan or, so you're make you're you're taking home a hundred bucks is what you're saying, yeah. right? You, after you paid your taxes, everything's taxes, right? yes. And I need eighty dollars of the hundred dollars. I yeah. have twenty dollars left over that I can either put in my student loans or pay off my car, right? Or put into retirement. What do I do with that twenty dollars? Well, there's not. I, there's definitely not one answer for everybody, but it's it's dependent on. I would say, yeah, if you have student loans or you have any to you know car loan or things like that that's where interest rates maybe come into play and you say how much money are you paying on that student loan are you paying interest on it Mm -hmm. right um and if it's this exorbitant interest rate like a credit card is a great example right if you're paying 20 percent on a credit card these crazy rates right i'd say get your credit card paid down faster than you start stockpiling money in the bank right because you're you're never going to not never, but generally, you're not going to make more by investing that twenty dollars than the amount that the credit card is charging you in interest. Right. Um, so you're kind of playing these things off each other to see where your money is best spent. Right? Is it right. your student loan because you're paying interest on that, or if you don't have to pay interest, is it just free money that has been loaned to you? And until that, they're charging you interest. I wouldn't necessarily pay attention to that. Right. And focus on the things that. You know, interest is a 
to your point about compounding interest when you save it, interest can hurt you when you're having to pay for it. Right. Because you're just paying someone else for them to effectively loan you money, right. whether it's a credit card or, or a car loan or whatever it is. Or whatever, yeah. And it's not bad. Um, you know, we we get loans all the time for a mortgage or for a car loan because these are things that you don't want to shell out that massive amount of money all at once and it right. makes it more affordable yeah. to borrow the money. Right. Um, and that's why people, even that have the money in the bank, maybe don't pay cash for a house and they take a loan because they think, well, I can make, you know, if I have a 4% interest rate, let's say on my house, I can earn five, six, seven percent in the stock market or whatever else you want to invest in. Um, <clears throat> so I'd rather make 5% and pay 4% and I've made 1% right. on whatever money. On the same um, cash. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's a roundabout way of answering. There's not one way to do it, but I think when you're, when you're young, in your 20s, for this example, I'd steer myself away from having too much debt because mm -hmm. there's plenty of opportunity later in life for you to right? get a mortgage and <laughs> car payments and all that stuff. So trying not to let debt accumulate too early would always be my advice. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. Um, and I always say, this is the way I always thought. If I only had that $20 of my 100 and only had 20, I would put two in savings. Right. Just to be in the habit yeah. of putting two in savings. Yeah. And then as I got more money, like if the, as I paid off my debts, I'd increase that right. amount I put in savings. But the habit of putting something aside it was really important to me when I was yeah. young and broke. I'd go, well, at least if I have, because... I know this is another thing that you say to us. You should have a certain amount of cash money in savings, right? How much should you have in savings? Well, it's a, it's kind of dependent upon your lifestyle. And, you know, some people are more conservative than others. But I don't mean how much be, money, dollar yeah. amount, but like well, I mean, one you month should, yeah, you should expenses? Always, or? Yeah, I mean... Uh, how how risky do you want to live your life, right? Some people want a year's worth of expenses covered right. sitting in the bank. Right. And other people think, well, if I had a couple months, you know, if I lost my job today and I had a couple months worth of savings in the bank and I could live, I could find a job in a couple months. And other people say, well, you know, I'd rather not cut it that close and have two years in the bank. Right. Um, again, it's kind of personal preference on how risk averse you are in that sort of scenario. I always think, you know, you should have six months to a year in savings, not locked up in something. You right. Know, have the ability to, to access have that. that. But it depends on your lifestyle and some, you know, in some regard that's not feasible and in others it is. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think to your point, habits and, and habitual stuff is from an early age or whatever age you want to start, getting in the habit of paying attention to what you have and tracking it you know i've used quicken mine since i was in my you know late 20s? teens or, or 20s yeah too, yeah always had it and it was just a great way of it was always there and i could see what was going on and you know they have charts and things like that that mm -hmm. show you if your savings going up if you spent more than you earned or whatever um i think that's really important and the habit of saving no matter how much it is right the habit of making sure you put something away, um, I think, is a great habit to get into. And the earlier you can do it, the better. Right. And it's super easy now because you can just automatically transfer yeah. from your checking to your right. savings, 20 bucks a month. Exactly. Or set it up and you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Um, 
that's another thing I think too is really important is I know the people I knew that had financial problems were the people who did not open their mail on a regular basis. Oy, yeah. I mean, I open my mail every day and I sort it. Like I yeah. may not, when I was paying our bills before we hired right. you guys, I didn't pay it every day. I paid it every Wednesday. Yeah. But I had a, a, a folder that I would open it. This is garbage. This is something I need to address. And yeah. this is a bill to pay. And I'd sit down on Wednesday and pay all my bills. Right. So I knew that that day, that it, nothing's due within seven days of when you receive it so generally speaking that was a good way to function but i know people that don't open their mail for weeks and i think it's crazy (laughs) i don't know if that's fear-based because you know what's coming and you don't want to open it whether it's a credit card bill or whatever it is i always go to people tend to ignore the things that they they don't want to address because they either don't understand it or they fear it or they don't know what questions to ask. I mean, I think it, that relates generally to a lot of things. If you're asked to do something, you're gonna kind of drag your feet. Mm-hmm. If you're nervous about asking a question back about it on how to do it or a bill that you you know you don't wanna pay, so you drag it out and you kind of go, well, if I don't open this notice from the IRS, it'll, maybe it'll just go away. It'll just go away. Yeah. And then what <laughs> you don't to. really face is the fact that you're incurring fees. Yeah, and you're hurting yourself. Problems and, you know, something too I think people have a hard time with is is a budget. Yeah. Is living within their means and saying, I make that hundred bucks. Yeah. I can't spend a hundred and twenty. Right. Because I don't got it. Well that's the the um the best thing about like what you're doing with your daughters, it's cash, right? It's once you start uh putting in a bank account, the bank account part and the credit card part are the hardest things I think to teach because mm-hmm. when it's cash it's there, it's all out in front of you, it's in your pocket, whatever it is, and that's all you have until more cash comes in. Um, that's a small piece of advice that I give people who are struggling with budgets, especially when it's attributable to a specific expense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, If you wanna stick to a budget on something, maybe pull out, if it's 100 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month, that you say, I don't wanna spend more than this on meals out or groceries or whatever it is just take out that cash and live on that for the month. And that is a real way of seeing mm, how much you got good. left over. That's good advice. Yeah. Cause you go, once that's gone, I'm done. I don't yeah. go out to eat anymore. Or right. I, I can't buy any more hats yeah. from lids. Well, especially, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. Yeah. $300 per month for hats. Right. And then I'm done. Right. Yeah. But if so you're lucky. halfway through the month and you have a quarter of it left, it definitely makes you reassess and you're like, well, all right, I got to stretch this for the next half of the month. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah. That's a really good piece of advice, especially for kids going to college or yeah. something to go, here's your 200 bucks. This is what you eat on for the week. Right. Manage it properly. It's a great, yeah, great way to do that. That uh, the analogy of my, my brother's mentality about the cash in the envelope <laughs> and going to Toys R Us. He went right. through it quick, but he didn't have to pay all the other bills, so he could. But, you know, once you have these expenses and the budget... You can't necessarily blow it all at once. Right. I mean, unless it's a budget on, you know, uh, a discretionary thing that isn't uh, food or whatever. Maybe it is hats or clothes or whatever. Set yourself a budget and then if you've used it, you've used it. Right. And as long as it's not something required to live, um, you know, that's a great way of monitoring that. Because it's easy for that stuff to get away from us. It is. And it is hard. I remember being really, really broke when I lived in New York and and not having the money to eat. And I would incur 
credit card debt yeah. to eat. Right. You know, and then I would go, well, I have to have it. Yeah. So I'll figure out this debt debt later. But I have to eat. Yeah. When really what I should have been thinking is maybe you can't afford to live in New York. Yeah. Right. Maybe maybe you should be going to Hoboken or New Jersey. Maybe right. why are you staying in the city if you can't afford to feed yourself? Yeah. Maybe you should reevaluate what you're doing. I know yeah. not everybody has um, the ability to do that. You know, some yeah. people can't really do that. You know, people especially in rural parts of the country don't have opportunities to get jobs to better themselves or increase right. their pay, and they are living very minimally already. So I know that some people don't really have that luxury, but. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely assessing and living within your means because, you know, we all have to plan for our futures and, um, you know, setting money aside, whether it's for retirement or just for savings for that thing that we don't know that we're going to have to spend money on, the car breaking down or yeah. something. You know, we all kind of have to do it and um, living within your means, you know, whether it's having to reassess where you can afford to live because you're dipping into savings or incurring debt just to eat, something's out of whack there, right? There's not a balance. balance. Yeah. yeah, it's a red flag. Exactly. It's a red yeah. flag, yes. I was just had this thought. You know how my dad say for his retirement, Leo, you're gonna die. <laughs> he started buying big block motors for Ford trucks. Okay. And he had amassed <laughs> like 40. Okay. So he said these big block motors for Ford trucks were worth like a thousand bucks each, right? The storage facility had them in burned and they melted. And all well, of what was he buying them retirement. really inexpensively and yeah. they were worth so much more. So yeah. he was accumulating them yeah. like gold. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah. It was compounding interest. Yeah. <laughs> Via Ford big block motors <laughs> and they melted. Flammable. And now he has no retirement. His yeah. retirement melted Ugh. in a fire. Yeah. And shouldn't I feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, it shouldn't be laughing. But. What a fascinating thought. It's a mental. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> Funding your retirement. I'm just going to keep build, buying all these big block motors. Who you was going to buy all these big block motors from? I mean, it's my, like. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know, but it was a brilliant plan. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you should, in addition yeah. to buying big block motors. Uh-huh. Just get an IRA, right? Yeah, or even just a savings account if you don't even <laughs> want to contemplate like a com the complexity of a retirement account. Just savings, just put some savings. money away in savings yeah, and let super that. Super easy. Yeah. Okay, so I read in this magazine, Real Simple, which is an expert magazine on finances. Okay. You know, Real yep. Simple. No, it's not. Yeah. It's all about you know <laughs> housekeeping and stuff. But they said in your thirties, you should put five to six percent of your pre-tax dollars toward your retirement. And have your employer match it, like you say. Mm -hmm. And with um, with every raise in pay, you should increase your payment on your loans to get your loans down in your 30s. Sure. Um, that you should put at least $50 a month to your retirement, even if you're just like right. destitute. Sure. And... Um, what is this? I don't know. The, the blanket statements like this take away... For me, it's... It's great. The underlying advice in it is fantastic. Right. Um, but I, I mean, like I said, I, I've always had the mentality of, especially if there's, to go back to retirement, if there's a matching situation, that's free money that's on the table for you that your company's willing to match. Right. Take advantage of that all day, right? Yeah. Um, you know, not everyone has debt. Some people have more debt than others. 
paying down your debt is a fantastic idea. These percentages, it's all dependent upon how you live because someone may look at that and they make a good living and they spend all their money on this discretionary stuff and they go, yeah, but I'm putting 5%, 5%. away. Yeah, away. good point. Maybe you could put away more, right? And you'll, you won't have that feeling of, well, I'm making good money. Where's it all going? I'm doing what I'm supposed to, but I don't seem to have... I don't match the benchmark of my other friend who has a lot more in savings, but they make less. Well, it's all relative, you know, um, staying within your means, you know, the most common thing I think, uh, is when people start making incrementally more money, obviously your expenses kind of start to rise because you go, well, now I can't afford the apartment in the city or whatever it is. And your spending creeps up and, that's why I say I think the habit of monitoring your your finances year over year or month over month, paying attention to it to go, man, I spent so much more than I did last year. Where did it all go? Okay, well, my taxes went up because I went, I, I started earning more. Oh, but I got a nicer car and I, mm. you know, it was a gas guzzler and I had to pay more insurance mm. and I got a nicer apartment and I had to pay insurance on that. And right. all these things start creeping up. Yeah. And I started, you know, because I got a, a little bit of a bump, I decided I needed to dress a little bit nicer. And mm-hmm. so I spent more money on clothes. It all starts adding up. And so paying attention to that stuff um, helps you kind of keep that in check. And I think having a percentage-based mentality is great because it grows with it. Mm-hmm. But um, I would always try and focus on, okay, where where are these things going to impact me the most? Where should I pay attention to? And it is the retirement or college savings or mm-hmm. general savings for that emergency or, you know, all of those things. And try not to be so focused on, well, I have to keep up with peers or friends or right. society in terms of what I should have right. um, that isn't necessarily going to benefit you in the future. Because, you know, you get the nice car lease that's gone in three years and you got to shell out more money for it and, and yes. all that stuff. So. Um, at the end of the day, if you're monitoring your bank account, you know, that's going to stay there. Okay. So then let's talk about college because we don't have a college savings fund for our kids. Right. We just have savings accounts. Mm -hmm. So what is the benefit of a college fund? Why would anybody have one as opposed to like, what was that account called? The index account? An index account? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a 529 account is a college savings account. And um, it's a phenomenal thing. And it's great uh, to start as early as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Money goes into it, uh, not tax-free, but um, the growth of the money within it effectively is tax-free because um, let's say you put that same dollar into it now and it's a dollar after taxes. you know, hopefully it grows for 18 years and then your child goes to college. You then get to use that money to pay for the college. Now that dollar may have grown to be $5 or $10 or $20 uh, in that 18 year span. You didn't pay taxes on that $19 growth. growth. I see. And then you get to use it all to pay for college. And now you get to use it on private school and things like that. And there are limitations on it, but that's part of the tax change and all that but you mean like lo- like high school private school yeah yeah oh really okay yeah, there are limits on that um but that was a new addition to some of the tax law changes that just recently happened so you can take advantage of it but the real advantage is is the growth over time right, right. and so if you have a child that's another thing that i would say for that point in time in someone's life try and put as much away as possible early 
because to tie into what you said before that index fund mm -hmm. generally speaking these college savings account uh they are geared towards growth uh kind of aggressive growth really early on because the concept is you're not going to touch it for 18 years right if you start it when your child is born right you're not going to touch it for 18 years so it can be really aggressive and it'll do this with the market right, right. up and down and then as it gets closer to that 18 year mark it starts becoming uh less and less aggressive and oh, it's it's invested in in an index that doesn't follow the market so closely mm -hmm. and is less variable with the ups and downs of it. So if there's a market crash, hopefully if it's, you know, near the time of needing it, it's not, you know, all the, the value of it isn't just tanking. Right. It's going to kind of stay firm at that time. But early on, it's going to do all that stuff. Right. But you put it in early and get the benefit of it later on. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to do. It is. Yeah. But you have to kind of start early. Yeah. So yeah. we just were too light. A little late. Yeah, a little yeah. late. Um, so then, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Say we started when Georgia was born. Yeah. And if if Isla goes to college, I'll be really shocked. Okay. So we spend, say we have $100,000 for college. Yeah. We only spend forty on yeah. Georgia's college. What happens to the sixty? So you can use it on siblings. Like, right, if you start Yeah, no, but what one. if we were done? Everybody's right. out of okay. school and so I got 60 left so over. So then... Um, you can use it for other family members. Uh, it can flow through to other people and take advantage of it that way. I've never um, had that happen. I've never had it. <laughs> I've never had it happen for for anyone that I've seen. But um, the flip side of it is, I, I I'd have to look it up. But uh, I think there's just a, you would pay a penalty or something if you took it out for non-use of that. Right. Education. Let's say you had no use for it. I think you would just take it out and presumably pay tax or, or some sort of penalty. But I'd have to look I it up because I've never actually encountered it. You probably have yeah. to deal with the growth. Yeah, you deal with the growth. There's something. So it's not just free money yeah. back to you. You're not using it for its intent in right. the account. Right. Um, but uh, I'm fairly certain you can flow it through to another family member or you know a cousin or a, someone else right. in the family. Yeah, that's how you'd probably want to try and use it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so what if you're really late to the game? What if you're 50 and you're okay. just now able to start investing in your retirement? What do you do then? Well, so there are there are um, things set up. There are catch-up. So you can pay a little bit more into your retirement once you hit a certain age. Oh, okay. Um, so you can put a little bit more into it. But it's never too late, right? Because there is still a benefit. Let's say you're 50. You've still got, you know, maybe 15 years before you retire, whatever you're goal retirement age is you still got 15 years that's a few you know cycles of the market and all of that um so you should still be putting away as much as possible i mean if you're in your 50s maybe you're in that kind of peak earning cycle and you have more to put away hopefully um or paying down your debt there are all these things that you know there are variables to what is going on in your life in your life at that time right but i think the the advice is true no matter what age you are, is if you're starting, just get started. That's the hardest thing. If you haven't and now you're nervous about whether you should, just start at any time, right? right. Start this year and put away as much as possible, whatever that is. Right. You know, there are limitations on what you can put in um, anyway for all of us. You're all, we're all limited. Right. Um, it just depends on what type of account you have, what your company offers or doesn't offer. Um, but, you know, if you're able to put in the maximum, put in the maximum. If you 
can't afford to put in the maximum, put in what you can. As and it much all, as you can. Yeah, it all starts adding up. But it's something for the future. And I think that's where a lot of people um, kind of, they feel discouraged or they feel bad that they haven't. So why start now? Is right. it really going to make a difference? How much can I really accumulate in 15 years or five years or whatever? Yeah. Um, but there's still savings in there to be had because it's going in tax-free on in some instances and um, you are putting money away for the time when you need it. Right. So, so it's never too late. Never too late. And uh, there's no negative to starting now. Right. Right. No yeah. negative. So then if my dad had sold all his big block engines and had his $40,000 and decided he wanted to open a retirement account, yeah. where would he go? Can he go to Bank of America and open a retirement yeah. account? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go to any bank? I mean, I, pretty much? I wouldn't say any, but pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, there are most banks have, um, they have some sort of vehicle for investing. And if they don't, they'll refer, refer you and be pretty certain that they'd have some ability to refer you to open some sort of retirement account um and they'd normally be happy to help you do it i'm sure right they want your money (laughs) another account i think that is another problem is that they they go i don't even know how to start to do that right well it is as simple i mean our bank of america right here on the corner has an investment officer yeah and he works for Merrill Lynch, right. but he's in the Bank of America. So yep. you can walk in and you're like a left inside yeah. the building and there he is. <laughs> and he can set up all different kinds of accounts, yeah. right? They have probably the index account. They, yeah, the, an index fund is um, what we were talking about the other day that, that I think one of your friends told you about. And, you know, that is that is kind of a very simplistic and uh, smart way of investing. If you really don't you know the the stock market is a whole is rabbit it, hole of yeah. information that i think makes a lot of people's eyes cross oh, I mean, the I'm majority not. of us right yeah um there are so many complexities and i think you know you walk into the bank of america and merrill lynch guy and they start talking about numbers and interest rates and market rates and you know all of these things your eyes cross because yeah. we're not it's not embedded in us right um and so something like an index fund, it's really just going to, it's going to follow the market. And, you know, in general, historically, the market has gone up, right? right? If you looked at when it started and where it is today, over time, it goes up and there's right. all the ups and downs. Not everyone has the stomach for the downs, right? right. Everyone thinks about the ups and, um, gosh, I should be investing because so-and-so talks about investing all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm always wary of the person who talks about all these great stock picks that they have um but the index fund is you know it's that general thing if you just googled you know the s&p 500 you'd see a chart with a line that's going up from right. the beginning of time until now um and that's generally the the thought process behind an index fund it's it's a uh an investment in a bunch of stocks that make up that index I see. and it follow you know it follows it and right. so um And what's the difference between that and a mutual fund? Well, a mutual fund isn't different. I mean, an index fund is generally can be a a mutual fund. It can be a mutual fund that is, it's called an index fund because it follows that index. There are other mutual funds that are tech funds, right? They follow only technology stocks and all sorts of funds. And that's generally what people see in their retirement. Uh, You know, if someone's offered a 401k from their company, they're giving a, they're normally given a list of funds for their invested retirement funds to be invested into. Right. Because it's normally not just in cash. Right. So they pick a fund and it's like, you know, small cap, mid cap, all these 
phrases that we go. I don't know what, what that, that means. means. Yeah. Is that a hat? Yeah. <laughs> a small cap? Um, I don't know. And so, you know, like an index fund is is one of those options. And some of them have, uh, I, what I think are great is similar to what we're talking about about college and that timing, there'll be a fund in there that is timed to your expected retirement age, right? right. And it'll have that year in it. And that fund will slowly uh, get out of the risky stuff and into more conservative stuff, the closer it gets to that retirement to year. Yeah. Um, those Got are great. It. Yeah. And it sort of gears toward, and they don't have to think about it too much because I think most of us are, you know, again, our eyes cross when we start thinking about it too much. And then you start yeah. going, gosh, am I doing the right thing? This one went down. I must be doing it wrong. All these people brag about the things they're doing right. No one brags about the account that lost right? money this year, right? Well, as you're saying that, I thought to myself, I'll just start thinking, I'm so dumb. I don't even know what he's talking about. I'm so yeah, dumb. I but I think most people feel that way. Yeah. Like, I know I'm not dumb. This yeah. is just not something I'm even interested in. Right. If I were interested in learning the stock market, I guarantee you I would know all about it. Exactly. But I don't care about that shit yeah. at all. So then I listen, like our friends that we uh, open ourselves yeah. up to talk financially, the husband knows so much about the stock market and he starts talking to me about it. And I, I go, I am so freaking dumb. I am so dumb. I don't even know half of what you're talking about. Yeah. But I think most people are afraid that they're really dumb. So the simplest thing to do would be to walk in the Bank of America or your bank of choice and say, I need to start a retirement fund. Right. Help me do it. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, if you have retirement and then you go, but I've got this other extra cash. Right. And maybe I have a house as well or I don't and I want to save for a house. How do I invest in the stock market? And that person, hopefully, you know, I think... Most of us get nervous because you maybe don't inherently trust that person or they seem shady or something. And that's the thing that I think puts most people off because, you know, I don't know how they're, am I paying this person yeah. or how are they making money? They must be making money. There's something I don't know. Yeah. And they're just taking my money and happily making it grow. That's right. impossible. Right. Um, and I think that's off-putting to a lot so of people. So then how do they make their money? Uh, well, I mean, normally, hopefully they're transparent about fees or what they're making, but you know, not, they're not always. So you have to find someone that is you trust, right? right? Uh, and reputable. And a lot of us get referrals, mm-hmm. right? That say, you know, my friend uses this person, they referred them. So that's why I'm going with this person. I think the most important thing is that you're able to talk to them openly uh, and you're not afraid to ask the questions that you, you know, you have to be able to say, listen, I feel dumb for asking, but X, yeah, Y, Z. I'm asking anyway. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's that's part of the reason why I enjoy what I do so much is because I, I do everything I can to open up that avenue and say, you can ask any question. My goal is to make you understand everything that you have going on in your life right? so that you can not feel dumb or you feel like you have an, a resource to ask right you know i don't have the answer to every question but like i said i have resources and i i am at least comfortable enough to you know i want to educate myself so i can answer the questions right right yeah well you've been amazing and fabulous Thank and you. very transparent <laughs> with everything i yeah. know people are very suspicious oh super suspicious really I uh, you really let them run all your money i'm yeah. like there's there's some checks and balances yeah, huh? yeah they don't totally. i i don't i'm not like eyes closed i don't know what's <laughs> happening there's certain things they can't do without me oh and yeah. so there and every time i ask a question 
I have evidentiary yeah. proof. There's no like, oh yeah, we did that last week. Sorry, yeah. I never told you. There's some paper trail for everything. It was like there's couldn't be more transparent. Well, unfortunately, you know, there are some not so transparent people in my industry that kind of give it a bad name and it's really unfortunate. So, I, you know, my company, we do everything we can to try and be as transparent as possible and show all the checks and checks and balances that we put in place because it is, there's a huge amount of liability if we weren't. And some people do just want to close their eyes to it and say like, just do it. I don't want to know about it. Right. You know, you know, pay the bills and make sure I'm saving money. And I, you know, I don't get it. So I don't want to. And those are the challenging ones to right. go, how do I educate this person and inform them so that one day they don't go, wait a minute, I have my eyes, I've had my eyes closed. Is everything kosher? And so that's the scariest part for me to anyone who does do that is I right. go, no, no, no. I want to give you, I want to empower you with as much information and knowledge as I can right. in a way that doesn't make you close your eyes and cringe and make your eyes cross and all that stuff right yeah i think that's probably what happens with a lot of big stars that got yeah. ripped off by their business manager right. so they're yeah. buying cases of wine that are a hundred dollars a bottle right. once a week and they're going wait what i had to pay for that you mean yeah. i was paying for that and you well, never and looked yeah, at your it's stuff like I, I didn't even know that that was an issue or i you know and some in some cases they they have a point in saying well you didn't tell me on a weekly basis what I was spending. And in other cases, it's like, well, I'm trying to push this towards you and you just, you're not listening. You don't right. want to know about it. Right. And, you know, so it's, yeah. it's, I think there's two sides to all those stories. Yeah, Tough. there there are. Bert had that with his previous business manager. I feel like all of a sudden he's like, yeah, and you're broke. Yeah. And, but Bert never opened an envelope. The guy <clears throat> right. send him a, a packet every month going, here's how much cash you yeah. have. Here's how much you spent. Here's how much is left over. Right. And Bert just never even, the envelopes would just pile up in the corner. Yeah. And I go, well, at some point you have to go, baby, that's your fault. Yeah. You should it's, have opened the freaking envelope. Well, it's the person who doesn't want to open the mail. Doesn't they, want to they, open the mail. If it's, if it's good news, you want to open it. But if it's slowly saying, hey, you're spending more than you're making, you stop wanting to open that envelope. Yeah. Right. And then it starts piling up. My uh, goal always is to say, okay, if you're not opening the envelope, Will you open an email? Will you open a text? Will you answer my phone call? Right. Or I'm going to come and knock on your door and say, hey, you know, here's Let's what's going on. Good or bad. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I like to deliver the good news better than yeah. anything. And But sometimes there's bad and you got to be able to. Do uh, that too, huh? Yeah. I got to force that on you too because I don't want you going, well, I I didn't know. So we just kept spending. Right. Well, that's not good for anybody. So, so a few minutes back, you talked about hey, I noticed I'm not hitting my benchmarks. Well, what, mm -hmm. are, what are the benchmarks? What are those? Um, well, I think we all set different... I was... I think the, the longer life goes on, I, I learned that financial benchmarks are not necessarily the most fulfilling ones, right? You can always say, like, right. I want to make X dollars a year. And I think everyone starts off doing that and saying, I want to buy x age i want to be making this much and mm -hmm. you know it hurts when you don't and then sometimes you reach them and you're like well that's not as fulfilling as i thought it was going to be because <laughs> right. now i'm paying more in taxes and you know whatever um and you're accumulating stuff and i i don't i don't know i uh, my mentality's changed a lot on it because um 
you know, I just see, I'm exposed to a lot, I guess. And that's the fortunate side of what I do. I'm exposed to success and failure and seeing these goals and benchmarks. So I try and, uh, I try and talk to people about setting different kinds of goals. Mm -hmm. Um, success will come when you're doing something that you're passionate about. Um, you know, there's so many examples of that. Um, and it's not just to the entertainment industry. I mean, it's to, to everybody. If you do what you're passionate about, you're going to put the most effort into it right. and thoughtfulness and all of that. Um, There's a I great book I read in my 20s called Do What You Love and the Money Will Come. Yeah. And that's true. Yeah. If you just do what you love, the money will come. It and may boy, not be yeah. a gazillion dollars, right. but the money will come. It will come. Yeah. And that's the hardest. It's easy to say that when you're in that moment but mm-hmm. not when you're leading to that moment right because right. sometimes when you do something you love it doesn't pay off immediately right and it's tough um i think a lot of comedians can relate to that, yes right? um but that i think benchmarks back to your question goes to uh my point about paying attention paying mm-hmm. attention to what you're doing and and what you're saving and i think that is a really rewarding thing to see like if you have um, a chart that just shows how much you're saving, seeing that go up is a phenomenal thing. And it's rewarding to go like, okay, I'm, I'm making more than I'm spending or I'm putting money away. Those are the, I think the benchmark should always be growth, trying to grow. Right. Yeah. Um, it should be growth. Yeah. Not necessarily a number. Right. Right. And it's, you know, there are the different benchmarks in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's whatever level of school getting rid of debt, buying a house, getting married, having kids. There are all these significant points in your life that have some sort of financial impact to you, good or bad, Mm -hmm. um, that you kind of need to reflect on in those moments or leading up to them to go, okay, I think we're going to have a kid in a year, two years or three years, or, you know, we're having a kid in a week. I haven't thought about it yet, but maybe a college savings fund is what we need to set up. How do we do it? Um, and how much should we be putting away knowing what you're saving kind of guides you in knowing what you can start putting away. Um, so I, that's what I would say is in terms of benchmarks, it is these, these life events normally trigger those kinds of things. Wedding, you know, you're going to get married. Are you paying for it? Who's paying for it? That's an expensive one, right? Um, well, let's talk about that because when you started making that list of getting out of debt, you know, buying a house, getting married, having yeah. kids, paying for a wedding is one of those in there. Yeah. But what happens after that? I think most people's thought process stops with having a kid. Like like when yeah. Bert and I talk about this from time to time, when our kids are gone and we're really old, we kind of want to live in a retirement community. Okay. Like we want to live with other people our age. Right. I don't know that I want to be in a house by myself with him all day long. Right. You know, when he's retired. Yeah. Love the guy. But <laughs> I may need a little more variety. Yeah. And he definitely will need more variety. So like I'm talking like when we're 80. Yeah. But that's another benchmark, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. To, to sell your house and mm-hmm. what you do with the money from your house. And yeah. so what happens after the kid benchmark? What should the benchmarks be after? Not should. Mm-hmm. But what are good maybe things to envision like your college fund for your kids? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you are planning to have kids or have kids, maybe you already have kids and you're early on or later on and you want to start, you know, you're saying, gosh, college college is expensive. Yeah. Um, and there are all different levels of it, but the college savings is a great one to wrap your brain around early on. Um, 
hopefully you didn't go into debt from your wedding. <laughs> uh, but um, well, you didn't go into debt for your wedding. I didn't go into debt for my wedding. No, <laughs> luckily, uh, I have a fantastic wife who was able to throw it all together miraculously, um, <laughs> impressively. Um, but so you know, I I think college savings is a great one because it's something that's going to impact people. Um, but then you know, where are you in terms of? your house, right? Some people are planning for a house and that's maybe a benchmark, whether you have it or not, then it's paying it off, right? And do you want to make additions to it? Do you, is this your long-term home or a short-term home? Right. Um, you know, you can look at your house as an investment and if it's a short-term thing, you know, are you buying it at the right time in the market that suits where you want to go in life, right? right. You have young kids, are they going to outgrow the house and do you need to add on to it or do you need to buy a bigger one in whatever span of time? Right. Are you going to add on to your family? You know, are you going to have more kids? Do you need to take care of a parent? So all of these things. That's another one. Take yeah. care of a parent. That's something else that's kind of a benchmark. Because yeah, absolutely. Now that all those big block motors uh -huh. are gone, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what hell, you know, that may be yeah. that we have to pick up the slack of those big block motors, yeah. not that 40 grand would have gotten him that far in retirement anyway, right. but that is something I think that we don't plan for. Yeah. You know? And it's something you kind of, you know, you, you, I'm not going to say you should, but it's definitely something to have in your mind right. um, because knowing whether your parents have retirement savings or not is going to impact you heavily, probably. I think most of right. us. Yeah. Um, you know, are they going to live with you? Are they going to live in a retirement home? Can they afford it? Right. All these things that, you know, they can be very expensive or they can be very consuming in your own life. So planning for that um, as early as possible, I think is great. And sometimes it's daunting to think of all these things and that it's, you know, how am I going to afford all of it. And right. I think it's more about planning it out and saying, okay, well, how far down the road is that? And we're all going to get impacted by things that we don't expect and can't plan for. But I, I always think mentally, if you can be prepared for it ahead of being financially prepared for it is, is at least a good step to make. Right. Go, okay. In the future, what is, a, what is my plan? What would I like it to look like? Right. And does that align with what my parents or whomever with reality yeah a little bit. reality yeah some of it is about reality you know, yeah the, absolutely the reality is we're we're probably going to have to take care of my dad in some capacity right my in-laws are totally fine they have yeah. retirement fund beyond they're right. fine but my dad the reality is that's probably i mean i'm my only child it's mm -hmm. me or bust so right. um yeah that is that I, I don't know that people like they don't open the mail Right. Don't necessarily want to look that far to ahead and to look at your own health care. You know, there's most people have some kind of health issue at yeah. some point in that when they get to advanced age. And how do you plan for that? Our neighbor had emergency abdominal surgery just out of the blue and she's yeah. in her 70s and her kids are like, oh, my God, like yeah. now everything's upended. And it took them a little while to get everything together so that they could get a home health care person that's yep. helping her rehabilitate. And mm -hmm. if you plan for that, I think it's a little better. Yeah. Well, and then it, that's, then you go down that rabbit hole of, okay, is that an insurance thing? Do I need to get? Wait, life? they have insurance for? Yeah. You mean well, like? Like long-term care. They right? do? In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can start planning for that where you, you know, 
because that's another very expensive industry that's growing and growing because of the population but it's you know people need assisted living right and you go into an assisted living home or you need in-home care someone to come in and take care of you Mm -hmm. in some instances 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. maybe you don't want your spouse to be the one that has to do that right and you can plan for it and it's it's not cheap or inexpensive necessarily but it it can it can be inexpensive relative to what it what the alternative will be in the future right right and it can wipe out your savings pretty quickly right um at that level so and you you know you you don't know what it's going to be right but i think for most people some form of assisted living is going to be required at some point in your life and to plan for it in the future in the in the present um only really benefits you for the future so it's definitely another rabbit hole to go down of insurance and planning and <laughs> we definitely need to plan for someone to take care of Bert. right i'm not taking care of Bert when yeah. he's all crotchety and stinky like that because you know he's going to be a pain that's our next meeting uh, that's our next meeting but do, do do like regular insurance policies take care of any of that uh you know? it depends i mean you have to look at your own policy but generally speaking they're getting carved out now because they have these dedicated long-term care policies and assisted living policies that right. are offered you know, some some uh, companies offer those supplemental insurances that you can get on, um, but I would look. I would certainly look into it um, if it's if that alone, that conversation we just had alone, sort of sparks in your mind of wow, what is that? Just you know, you can talk to your insurance agent or some right. sort of uh, generally anyone who handles life insurance is probably going to know a lot about this. And can help you out. And it's um, called long-term care. Long-term care, yeah. Okay. Um, but it's worth it's worth looking into, and it, it may be daunting, you know, in terms of the price tag. But if you start digging into, you know, over time what the costs are now and what mm-hmm. they're planned to be, 10, 15, 20 years, thirty years from now, right. with inflation and expected costs, um, it's kind of scary and astronomical <sighs> what what is planned to be. It's scary. Yeah, but all this stuff is scary to people and it's it's reality and um i think if you can take the fear out of it and go okay it is what it is how do i plan for it right and just know try and i try and say all the dollars that you're earning today are not for today right Right. try and plan that you know a good chunk of your earnings today are for protection in the future and for you know comfort and and all that stuff in the future and maybe don't focus too much on today we it's great to live in the now and right. appreciate today, but try and um, put a little bit of planning into it. Have a little discipline, right? Yeah. Our little Gen Xers. Yeah. Like, we got a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. It's burning a hole in my pocket. Exactly. You know, I think the millennials tend to be a little more frugal than we are, and rightfully so. Right. Yeah. Uh, they lived through the crash. It was kind of scary. <laughs> Our real estate crash. Um, I just thought of something. Well, trying, oh. to buy, trying to buy a home now, speaking of that, I mean anyone trying to buy a home now it's incredible it, i mean it's a it's a it's a daunting task i think for most people now early on in life who haven't bought that first home or are looking at when they could potentially and that is a daunting feat to think about accumulating enough savings to put down oh, it's insane. on a house right i yeah. mean it's insane it's insane yeah we i mean think, we're talking yeah. about you know los angeles california which is one of the worst places but not the yeah. worst certainly but you know i think across the country even it it is still a daunting task for most um 
most young people. It is. It's scary. Yeah. So we, um, my magazine said, Mm -hmm. (laughs) by 67, you should have about 10 years of your salary in retirement or savings in some capacity. What what say you to that, mister? Um, That sounds great. Uh, Again, I think it depends on your lifestyle and how much you think you're going to cut back. I have clients that I talk about you know, the reality of retirement, impending retirement, right? And that can be a very exciting thing. Retirement can be extremely exciting if you've kind of planned for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of this daunting thing that's scary. Yeah. Try and make it an exciting thing of like relief. Mm -hmm. You know, work is going to reduce and you get to do a lot more time doing the things that you like. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully you like what you do. But uh, the... I think the amount has to be dependent upon what you want your lifestyle to be in retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you going to scale it back and is it going to be simplified? Some people, that is a a harsh reality of retirement. It is going to be, okay, based on what you have, here's how long it'll last you if you spend this much. Right. And that's just the math behind it, right? It's the math we can all do. Yeah. Divide it by how much you spend a year and that's how many years you have. Right. and I think that that is probably the part that scares most people because you, you, then you're putting a finite amount of time on, on your it. life, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that is scary. So it's scary. I think that we're all nervous and scared by that thought of put, doing the math on our lifespan right. um, or how long we can afford to live. Right, okay. Uh, yeah. 10 years and then you're dead. Yeah, right? You have 10 years worth of salary. Okay, you know, the amount you make isn't, hopefully isn't the amount that you spend. Um, so maybe that 10 years of salary, you know, I might, my accountant brain goes to, okay, well, salary at what point in your life? Was it your salary when you were the peak earnings or is it the salary when you're retiring and you've scaled everything back? Is it the salary of when you started? Um, you're so specific. I I know I'm too specific. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it makes you good at your job. I know, I guess. Uh, but I think Again, it's a it's a great benchmark to go to get the brain cells moving on what retirement is going to cost you, right? right? I think what you said is phenomenal. If you know you want to live in a uh, an assisted living home, or retirement home, or retirement community, there are all different levels of it. Mm-hmm. You can go buy a condo in a retirement community mm-hmm. that is still very much, you know, it's you're independent, independent living. and all yeah. of that, but it's got a golf course right. or uh, you know a They've got tennis courts and all these things. Yeah. And, uh, bingo on bingo Tuesdays. And yeah. dances and all that stuff, right? <laughs> Sounds fun. Um, but then it's, okay, how much does that cost? And right. how much does a condo in that place cost or to rent or to, you know, have yeah. all the amenities of it? Mm-hmm. So you start putting a re- reality of the number behind what your expectation is. And then you can start going, okay, how long is that going to last? Right. Um, and, you know, so it, again, it gets scary because you make it finite, but the goal is to try and make that less and less scary as you get closer to it. So the, the earlier you can start on that, the better. Right. Okay. So we started a trust. We put all of our stuff in right. a trust. Um, a living trust. A living trust. Mm-hmm. So our home is in the trust mm-hmm. and our bank accounts are in, yep. are in the trust. Yeah. And so then... If something were to happen to us, 
our kids just become the trustees when they're obviously when they're yeah everything goes everything uh will flow through to them i mean the concept behind that is just protecting everything from going through probate essentially right california probate can take six months two years it just depends on the complexity of the assets Mm -hmm. but um that means that they receive the assets faster than california going okay what did you have right they're gonna get let's make sure fees are paid and taxes are paid and all of that right if it's in the trust it's it's a more expeditious process right Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily go through probate so for for me i went to a seminar Mm -hmm. at our local community college that talked about planning for your retirement the number she said the number one thing you should do as you approach latter life mm-hmm. is put everything in a trust. Right. And I was overwhelmed yeah. by that process. I just went, I don't even know what that means. Right. Yeah. How do you even start doing that? I don't even understand what, who do you call? Yeah. I had no idea where to start. Obviously I called you yeah. <laughs> because you knew where to start, but other people much like walking into the bank of America and opening a retirement yeah. fund, how would a person do that? Because you don't have to be, I think it, it also is a misconception that you have to be wealthy to have a trust. Right. You just have to own, you guys have yeah, to have, have things assets. of value, yeah. right? Like yeah. property or now, boats and, or you know, and it's, big um, block motors. Something, yeah. If you have a storage <laughs> facility full of big block motors, um, it could be in put the them trust. all in the name of the trust. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah, it's it's not as complicated as it seems initially. And, um, you know, just trying to read about it can be a little bit daunting, but there are very simplified versions of it. It is not as complex as um, most people assume it is. And you need a, um, I would suggest, you need an estate planning attorney mm-hmm. to advise and kind of guide you through it. And, and um, because they're all varying levels of complexity of people's lives and what they want their trust to be because it's 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 everything combined it's your will it's your what's called a healthcare directive right what you want to happen if you were in the hospital and on life support or you know whatever you direct all those things and it's hard conversations as you know it it can be a difficult conversation to say yeah. write down on a piece of paper what you want to happen right. in the event of your death or you know in the event that xyz happens um so going into it being prepared for that kind of a conversation is number one mm-hmm. um but an estate planning attorney should be able to help guide you through it and it can be you know, some of it, it can feel painful, but if you go into it prepared, it can be a little bit less painful. And the, the whole concept is to try and protect your assets for the people that you um, want to leave them to. Right. Um, whether it is, you know, your spouse, your children, your whomever it is in your life that you're leaving them to, just make um, make life a little bit less complex for them. You know, the same right. theory is behind... Uh, can can be one of the theories behind life insurance, right? Life right. insurance, people think, I'm going to get a life insurance policy for my child. Life insurance, generally speaking, is a, uh, is a way of protecting the, what you're leaving behind um, and mm. supporting the people that you're leaving behind. Right. Um, you know, whatever that means to you. you right. know, some people need life insurance because they have all their money wrapped up in in assets that aren't cash, right. but they're going to be taxed on them when you, you know when you pass away whoever inherits them has to pay tax on it. That life insurance policy maybe is to pay that tax or maybe a life insurance policy is to take care of them when you're gone. Right. Um, 
you know, it is literally for the people that you're leaving behind. Right. So, a life insurance policy is really important, I think, yeah. to have, especially when you have children. Yeah. As soon as you have children, that's when we got ours. Yeah. You know, we didn't have any life insurance. And then when we had Georgia, we we're like, okay, we're insuring both of us because, right. God forbid, we're, we both die in a plane accident. Right. What happens to her? And, you know, and really, when you get a life insurance policy young enough, it's not that bad. It's not no. very expensive. Yeah. And even the trust, um, she told us in the seminar about how much it costs. And I almost fell on the floor. I was like, $5,000? Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I just went through losing my grandmother and mm. losing my aunt and my other aunt was the executor of yep. both estates so expensive yeah and so much work yeah. and stress and upset and arguing and pain and i thought all of this could be eliminated if you just had it in a trust well yeah you get to dictate what happens and the goal, hopefully, is to make that process easy on the again the people that you're leaving behind and leaving this to. Yeah. You know, you, if you see that firsthand, the kind of stress and um, anxiety that brings people. It's awful. Yeah, terrible. So, it's really awful when really, my grandmother had a great deal of assets. She had a lot of land, right, and a beautiful farmhouse. Not a lot of cash, but yeah. still, that land and I mean, it just took forever just because it went through probate. Yep. And I, when I watched the first one happen, that's when I said to Bert, okay, <laughs> five grand is totally worth every penny. Yeah. I would pay $5,000 for my children not to have to do what my Aunt Carol did. Yeah. Like that, just think of it as a courtesy fee. Yeah. That you know you don't have to go through that stress. And by the way, I don't think it ended up costing you that much either. So, I don't think it did. Yeah. I think you're right. But like, that's what I thought in my yeah. brain. She well, you said went into it, it thinking that, so you were, yeah. being, you, were, you were ready for that. That was in my brain, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so... And there are less expensive. Five grand, I, I understand going into that, you know, that seminar using, having some sort of figure to give people a guidance, you know, guidance in what to expect, but it can certainly be less expensive. Less, that, right. Like you found out. Yeah, ours was yeah. less expensive. You're yeah. right. Okay, I read another magazine. Mm -hmm. This was Women's Day. Okay. Also another financial guru. Yep. <laughs> I read it every day. How to be a millionaire. You ready? Number one thing is to get rid of your debt except for your mortgage. Okay. Agree with yeah, that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, to have three to six months of expenses in cash. That's okay. what this magazine nailed said. Mm -hmm. Okay, nailed that. Number three is to invest. Same thing you said. Okay. 401k or retirement funds. Put 15% of your pre-tax income in the first 401k and then do the uh, first in a 401k if you can and anything over than that over that in a Roth. Well, and the, the the trouble there is that you're limited, you're capped on what you can put in these things. So these right. percentages depend upon how, how much you're earning, right? We're talking about like regular folks, most people in yeah. America, you know, not Still, yeah. not the one percenters. Yeah, I know. The regular regular <laughs> people, like the the big block motor people. Yeah, exactly. Um number 4, mm -hmm. cut off your kids. That's interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? Cut off your kids uh as soon as they're done with college. Yeah. Is what it said. Just 100% just don't off. support them at all. Yeah, that's what it said. Cut off your kids. I mean, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm interested to see what you, how you feel about that. If you're going to be that mercenary, I can't uh, imagine that's an easy thing to do. But uh, yeah, have um, you met Bert Kreischer? I know. No, <laughs> he's going to have a really hard time cutting off his yeah, kids. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine. Um, I think it's, um, it's an easy 
thing to get carried away doing. I mean, I can imagine supporting your kids and not wanting to see them go through um, troubles, especially if you've experienced them, right? The, mm-hmm. can I afford my apartment mm-hmm. situation? You the, Then your brain, I think you've trained yourself to go, I, I never want my kids to feel that. Right. And then you want to support them even more so. Um, Somewhat, but I also know the value of standing on your own two feet and how that grows positive self-esteem, that it doesn't have to do with money. It has to do with you believing that you can handle yourself. Yeah. And I know people who parents still support them and they lack some of that belief. Yeah. And I think that's, you've you've been given a great gift and robbed of another. Sure. So part of it, and I did have this one friend who um, her family was extremely wealthy. They owned like a waste management type company, like gazillions of dollars. And she had a really successful job and decided she wanted to be a teacher. And she was like, it's really hard to live in LA as a single person on a teacher's salary. And the parents were like, we're paying, you know, you pay 500 bucks a month rent and we'll pay the rest. She had a reasonable one bedroom apartment. She wasn't living in a house. She lived in a reasonable one bedroom apartment. She wrote me a check for 500 bucks when I was managing. Her parents wrote check for the rest and she taught school at a low income title one school in downtown LA and was the happiest people I know. And I've always thought to myself, if my kid did that, Mm -hmm. then I would support that. Right. You know, that's, to me is different than my kids sleeping on the couch, playing video games, eating Doritos that I've bought and not pursuing something in life. Yeah. You know, that's the balance too, is to kind of look at the the big picture, you know? Well, and I think it's also shielding, shielding them from learning about the things that everyone kind of needs to learn in life, right? All the things that we're talking about, um, everyone kind of needs to experience and learn and we learn them at different times, but you're, I don't think you're necessarily doing anyone a favor, especially your kids a favor. If you shield them from learning why you have insurance, right? Car insurance, Uh, having your child start paying for car insurance at whatever age that they do. It's a lesson that they learn when they get in an accident and that kicks in or they learn the lesson of what type of insurance they had and it's insufficient or, you know, relate that to any example. You yeah. know, they're renting something and don't have renter's insurance. The understanding of all these things and paying the bill for it, you start learning these lessons. Um, and if someone's just doing it for you uh, and you never have to actually learn it or learn the ramifications of it, um, you are, you know... You don't have a, a full understanding, I think, of life and what the requirements are of it. Right. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's that line that you're talking about is a is a fine one, right? Where do you draw the line on? Well, they're doing this, so I'll support them for it. They're not doing that, so I won't support them for it. Right. That's a tough one. It is a tough one. And how I do think... you make sure they're learning the lessons that they're gonna that are going to, you know, take them through the rest of their life when you're not there to help them with it right it is really hard i always i always thought well if you're gonna do it that's the way to do it the way my friend did it she eventually got married and that think about a house and it's not happening anymore and that would be the trajectory you would hope for right i would think but i don't think it really happens for everybody right that they that they you know their kids rely on their parents for so long and it's harder too i just heard this um podcast that said um children in the 50s far out earned their parents 
right? Mm-hmm. Children of the 70s out-earned their parents mm-hmm. of the 50s. Mm-hmm. Children of the 90s out-earned their parents, but not by as much. Yeah. And now they're not. Right. They're not out-earning their parents. So it's kind of the balance has shifted where now if you're of this generation that's just coming into your own, it's much harder to accomplish what generations before have right. accomplished. Yeah. And how does that affect your self-esteem? Yeah. How does that affect your value? Because you you look to your predecessors to see how you're doing. That's yeah. how you gauge yourself. Oh, my dad bought a house when he was 25. Exactly. I'm yeah. 40. I still have a house. Yeah. I suck. You know? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's these <clears throat> these kind of benchmarks that we set and you kind of you sometimes use your parents or your elders as those benchmarks to say, well, my parents had kids when they were X age and they bought a house at X age. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I said before, buying a house now, I think it's, uh, it's daunting for any, anyone at any age where they're trying to buy a house for the first time. They go, man, I'm just not lining up. And that goes to the insecurity we were talking about before where, you're trying to gauge yourself against your peers as a benchmark of where you should or shouldn't be in life. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a dangerous thing because not everyone's situation is the same. Not everyone's goals are the same. Right. Someone may have a ton of retirement savings, but not own a house. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, some, someone may want a house so bad that they forego retirement savings until they have it. Right. And it's, a, it's just everyone's decision of where, you know, what they value and what they want. I think the the house conversation is a fascinating one because uh, especially everyone in my age range has, they're always, uh, they've always been talking about getting a house. That's always the first benchmark, right? And um, for whatever reason, I don't know what it was in my upbringing or schooling that, that kind of drove into my mind that having a house isn't necessarily the first benchmark. I understand the wealth accumulation you get with real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not for everyone at a specific point in your life. Right. There's a lot of expenses that go along with a house, property taxes, you know. Maintenance. Maintenance, you gotta buy a new roof, whatever mm-hmm. it is, versus, you know, maybe living in an apartment is suits someone else's lifestyle because they don't want those expenses. They wanna stockpile as much money away as possible into retirement, mm-hmm. right? So instead of paying for the roof, you put money into retirement. Right. Someone else put money into the roof and the house accumulation of that wealth and paying down your mortgage, maybe that's kind of your retirement savings right. that you have in your brain um, because you'll sell that house and you made money on it and that buys you a bigger house or you sell it because you're retiring and you want all that cash to live on. Right. There are all these different variables and thought processes that people can have that right. differ. Right. And so benchmarking ourselves against each other I don't think is um, the smartest way to do it because it creates insecurities because you think that person's doing it that way. Am I doing it wrong because I'm not doing it that way? Right. And there are so many different ways of doing it and priorities that people have. Someone has kids, someone else doesn't. They have a college savings account. You don't necessarily need to have one. Right. You could set up a college savings account for your niece or nephew if you wanted to. Right. Um, But I I think sort of full circle is having that person that you can talk to about it and mm-hmm. not so much about benchmarking yourself against them, but having the different, having that discussion kind of like we're having where you broaden your horizon of thought process about it and say, oh, I understand that thought process. Mm-hmm. Um, how does it compare to mine? And sh- 
should I shift it? Because that's interesting. Or I don't agree with it. Right. Here's why. Right. And maybe you enlighten somebody else to what you're doing. And maybe you're right. doing something right that you didn't even know all along. Right. Yeah, that is... It is it is good, I think, to have another person to talk to if you can just continue to run your own race. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You just say, oh, you know, you got a longer stride on this part of the track. Right. Yeah. That might be a good place for me to have a longer stride, but for the rest, I'm going to keep my little short stride. Right. And everyone, so to, you know, is worried about how much they're making and benchmarking that against people as well. Yeah. Every career is different, and some people so start silly. out quick, <laughs> right. but they cap out, and some people have a longer, you know, right. it takes a little bit longer to make a little bit more, you know. It's yeah. so hard to compare, um, and having, uh, I think, um, the further we can get away from the, the culture of hiding mm. those things, those facts about, you know, what we make and what we save, I don't think it should be such an uncomfortable conversation, um, because we're all... We're all working to make a living to pay for all the things that we need, you mm -hmm. know, the necessities. We're all, uh, you know, a, a house and a warm meal and and uh, good health is what we're all, I think, entitled to. Yeah. Um, there's no reason for us to hide the fact that we're working hard for it to support, you know, families and the people that we love and, and all of that. I agree with you. I think it should be an open book. I think it is hard to culturally different, different. I did a podcast a week or so ago came out about blue collar versus white collar mentality yeah. about certain things. And, you know, it's very white collar to what do you do for a living yeah. and how much do you make right. happens more in the white collar community yeah. than it does in the blue collar community right. where those things are almost offensive to mm -hmm. ask. That's offensive right. because, um, what I do and how much I'm worth doesn't matter. That's not how right. I value myself. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, that's very valid. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't, I don't value myself by how much is in my bank account. Right. I value yeah. myself by how I treat people and how I think people feel about me in return. Yeah. So to me, that's where my value system lies. But I think they... If, if a blue-collar person could add that piece to what they have and say, yeah, but how am I taking care of myself right. long-term? And how, how am I taking my small job and taking some little piece of it mm -hmm. and taking care of my future? Right. Because that's smart, not yeah. because that's evil because I have a lot of money. Right, exactly. But just that that's wise and that's excellent self-care. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I know in the community I grew up in, my aunt my two aunts had retirement one was a nurse and had a 401k one was a teacher and had a 401k yeah and they invested heavily in their retirement and when my one aunt passed away she was very wealthy and my other aunt retired she had a million dollars yeah but everybody else my dad doesn't even have a savings account right his brother no savings account yeah and i think what happens if something happens to you is it really that bad yeah. to be just a teeny bit white collar? Just a teeny bit. <laughs> like you don't need to know what you do for a living, but maybe right. just have a savings account. Yeah, something. Just a little bit. Yeah. Let's finish our how to be a millionaire and then mm -hmm. we'll wrap it up. Track your net worth. Yeah, I think that goes along with what we were saying before. I feel like we're nailing this list. We are. We're, we are so millionaire. We're not 100. No. We're 1 million. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it goes along with what we were saying before about, you know, a good habit to get in is to monitor, whether it's, you know, year over year, knowing what you're spending and, and making or month over month or being invested in it daily and being that a 
obsessive about everything that's happening but having a having some sort of system to be able to check yourself and right. gauge yourself and set you know your own benchmarks um i think is really important and whether it's your net worth or just knowing what you're spending and saving right. um net worth fancy way of saying just everything you have yeah. in the bank and what you owe and yeah what's the what's the combination of all of it and hopefully that should be growing over time. I think that should be the goal. I think that's that should be shrinking have, right? as it should be growing. Exactly. That's what should happen over mm-hmm. time. Okay, they, there was a... Yeah, this is, that's what exactly what it said. All yeah. that you own minus all that you owe yeah. is your net worth. Right. So I think someone like my dad would go, well, I don't have no net worth. Yeah. But you, right. do. you do. You own yeah. a lake house. Everyone does. And you owe five grand on that lake house. Yeah. So there's your net worth. But um, there's a website in this magazine called chrishogan360.com slash tools and it is a net worth calculator Mm -hmm. so it helps you set goals too for your net worth so that may be something really simple anybody could go in and go i own these things i owe these things here's my net worth yeah it may be very helpful quicken was always very helpful for me too yeah i started quicken in my early 20s yeah and used it until I turned it over to you. Right. I used Quicken and QuickBooks because like you said, you can run a really quick, simple report and know your net worth in yeah. two minutes. It takes a little bit of, you know, diligently yeah. kind of putting in like my Wednesdays when I paid my bills mm-hmm. was the day I put my receipts into Quicken. Yeah. And now so much is digital. I'm sure you could just download it, just downloads it in, it right? And yeah, you have credit cards or bank there. statements. It just downloads it and you categorize it and it's great. I mean, it, it sounds like a sales pitch for it, but over time, if you're diligent about it and just keep track of it, it's kind of, you know, it's the accountant talking. It's fun to be able to see what oh, no. you spent on yeah. something 10 years ago and compare it to what you're spending now on that same, you know, category or whatever. You see the trend in life and you see that, you know, maybe you, you kept it consistent the entire time and that's phenomenal. For the most part, people, you know, you start making more, you spend more. You make less, you spend less. It's interesting to see the, the, the flow of it all and also to see what you spend maybe more than you thought you spent on. It may sort of shock you to see it. And I think that's the, the thing that people don't want to see. It's that mail that they don't want to open. Yeah. They don't want to see the thing that you know is your guilty pleasure and maybe you're spending too much on it. But, you know, you can't make changes without knowledge, I yeah. don't think. If, you don't, if you're not aware of your behavior emotionally financially in any way you can't yeah. make any changes so it's just part of that piece of self-care and being healthy yeah all right last thing is to live frugally it says 94 percent of millennials live on less than they make yeah it's scary 94 percent. that's a huge percentage yeah. to stick to a budget and 93 percent not millennials millionaires duh 94 percent of millionaires live on less than they make they stick to a budget and 93 percent of millionaires use coupons that's interesting use coupons yeah i mean i think uh it can be a fun game and i i don't know if they're using coupons uh just as a broad term but you know you look at credit card rewards program exactly it's a coupon right it's a coupon you're literally borrowing money and as long as you're paying it off and not paying interest it costs you effectively nothing you're not spending your own dollars right um and you get you can get cash back for it or you can get a free travel miles or whatever yep it's phenomenal gift cards phenomenal yeah i mean when you walked in here today i was like 
Halston said, great shoes. And I went, I bought them 50% off. I don't buy anything for full price. Right. I just don't. I think you can find it for cheaper. I did not marry that person. (laughs) However, I buy everything cheap because I go. It's not cheap. It's inexpensive. Yes. Yes, you're right. That was drilled into me from an early age. It's not cheap. It's inexpensive. I'd be walking around whatever store it was. And I'd say to my mom, God, it's so cheap. And she'd go, she'd smack my hand. It's not cheap. It's inexpensive. You'll offend them. That's because she's British. Exactly. And she's very proper. Um, well, okay. Is there anything that I left out that a layperson should know that they should do or take care of for their financial health? No, I think that's like that list kind of summed up our entire conversation. I think living within your means is the, is the message from that, that last comment, you know, knowing what you're making and knowing what you're spending, know that you're spending less than you're making is, is a phenomenal thing. I think people get in trouble, especially people who maybe uh, are, are, are paid where there aren't any taxes taken out of their pay. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're, you know, independent contractors or what have you, and they don't know how much to put aside. And mm-hmm. that's where it gets really important to put money aside because you're going to have to pay those taxes and you may not know exactly how much it's going to be. Um, but you should get a, get a gauge, whether mm-hmm. it's from your last year's tax return or from your accountant or whatever it is, try and get a gauge about how much of your um, earnings you spent mm-hmm. uh, on taxes and you can look it up go on the IRS website and just look at tax brackets and go okay I think I'm going to make X number of dollars this year alright it shows me a percentage of how much of that will be paid in taxes right. and put maybe a little bit more than that because right. you're going to pay state taxes whatever state you're in too right. um, so you can do a little bit of research it's not too painful or ask somebody I mean always try and ask the question Um People can get themselves in trouble that way by not being ready yeah. for taxes. But um, yeah, I think the best advice is truly just being on top of it and, and spending less than you make. Not being afraid good. to open the mail and open take a that look. Mail, yeah. Just take a look and then you have an informed opinion and, an, and in, you can make an informed decision. Yeah, exactly. On what to do. Yeah. Well, thank you for all your expertise. Absolutely. Did you have fun? Had a great time. I love talking about this stuff. This is what I do. I know. Well, you're really good at it. Really good at it. Um, Try. Thank you for all you've done for us. Absolutely. Help us, you know, keep our ducks in a row. Yep. Keep them in a row. Well, thanks, Leo. No problem. Happy to do it. Thank you.